What's good and what's going on, Marquette Nation? Been a little bit as this is your sports audio producer, Jackson Gross, finally back for an episode of Wire Sports Weekly. Hope you all have had a fantastic couple of months. Uh, enjoyed spring break, enjoyed some March Madness. We're down to the final four, but we're here to talk about some Marquette men's basketball. Obviously, the season coming to an end against Michigan State in the second round of the tournament, and I thought the best person to bring in would be someone who is actually there in Columbus, <laughs> Ohio, the great state of Ohio, and that's our executive sports editor, John Leozzi. John, how have the last days been been treating you, my guy? I mean, they've been good, Jackson. You know, finally back into the swing of things of classes and not have to be on the road, even though the, being on the road for two weeks was an incredible experience mm-hmm. uh, for me, getting to go to New York with you and then obviously going to the NCAAs down in Columbus. I don't know if I would call it the great state of Ohio, <laughs> um, but... You know, driving through the cornfields all the way from Milwaukee, it sure was a uh, great uh, adventure for myself. Yeah, sure, you got to experience what driving through the Midwest is really yeah. like, so <laughs> welcome to the club. But uh, really glad to have you in here. Um, obviously, there's been some big news around Marquette the past couple of days, but we'll we'll get into that a little bit. we got to save the, the good stuff for the yeah. end, but let's... Let's start with recapping this this season and starting with the NCAA tournament. You were obviously there for mm-hmm. that first round game against Vermont, and then obviously the for Marquette fans the disappointing game against uh, Michigan State. Just kind of tell us your experience in Columbus and what you're able to take away from those two games. Yeah, I mean it was a great experience. You know when you were walking around um, the city, we were our hotel was just right behind. Uh, actually right in front of the arena. So we didn't have too much of a commute, so we were able to walk around the city before games, and it was a really cool sports town. And the sports town itself really was filled with a lot of blue and gold. Um, obviously, Marquette being the two-seed, about an eight-hour drive from Milwaukee, and where all fans are scattered around the country, they were able to make their way down to Columbus and Nationwide uh, Arena. And it was just a really cool experience uh, to see all the Marquette fans, um, their energy. I mean, people were coming out of the hotel elevators all jazzed and I even saw the jump around guy jumping around a little bit <laughs> yes. uh, before going to the first game against Vermont on that Friday but just the excitement I mean walking around the arena itself uh, before the games a little bit to see what the fan experience was like the you had your normal Marquette fans you had mm. the guys who had the eye black and <laughs> they had the overalls and all but it it felt like a Marquette home game in that mm-hmm. first game. Second game, not so much. And yeah. some of that, well, I shouldn't say not so much. I say at times it didn't feel like it. Um, there was a lot of Michigan State fans. They were about three hours away from East Lansing. So those two fan bases really took over the arena for the weekend. Um, there was not many FDU or FAU <laughs> fans, even though there should have been. Um, some of the great upsets that we saw there. Uh, in Columbus, but overall, it was a great time. Um, and you know, you always want to experience March Madness uh, to its fullest, and I think Marquette fans in the city of Columbus, um, especially the city of Columbus and oh, the Ohio State, like department itself, did a really nice job uh, bringing March Madness uh, to the city. Yeah, they're not they're very custom having March Madness and great teams out there obviously Ohio State football yep. a few years ago with the Columbus Blue Jackets mm-hmm. the hockey team I mean there so. even was like a 
bar like just next to the arena that became a Marquette bar. They know what they're doing. They became a, it became a Marquette <laughs> bar that entire weekend. And you know when you're walking in, obviously wearing my Marquette hoodie, I'm watching some of the games, and you're just hearing "We Are Marquette" chants. <laughs> and like when like you know, um, forget the other teams, but when teams were losing, that they knew like oh it was a Purdue game. They were like, man, Purdue's gonna lose. That place went nuts. <laughs> it went nuts. I'm so sure. it was cool. That's that's an awesome experience. Um, hopefully, I get to cover an NCAA game myself in the near future. But I mean, just talk about quickly. Just kind of recap for those who have yeah. forgotten already. Just kind of recap what happened in that second round game against Michigan State and why we're not here with a potential Marquette in the Final Four. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a game that it looked like from the opening seconds, like okay, Marquette got that strip. They got the steal on defense, and they had the easy bucket from Stephen Mitchell, and they were going to set the tone. Um, but Michigan State, being led by Mr. March himself, uh, Tom Izzo, they kind of came out with a 14-3 to run. And that kind of made Marquette have to play from from pickup a little yeah. bit and had to, had to come back from behind. And they were able to get it close in that at halftime. They were still down, but they made it close. They had to use a lot of energy in that first half. And Coach Smart was talking about that post-game where – Maybe some of that energy that we needed in the towards the end of the game was used in the first half because of the deficit that we were down. Um, but I think the biggest thing, and I think what fans are going to go from, is the turnovers. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a minute of a stretch, remember, talking on our broadcast with Kristen Parisi, the executive sports producer, saying nine minutes, there were nine turnovers for Marquette. That's one turnover per minute for the Golden Eagles, a team that has handled the ball rather well um, leading up to that game and even entering uh, that second half. And it just seemed to be uh, something just – Michigan State was able to exploit something on the Marquette offense, and they were able to bring a sense of pressure um, that they just never went against maybe in quite some time. Um, and Michigan State used their veteranness. Um, you know, A.J. Hoggard, they had uh, Tyson Walker hit a couple threes, Joey Hauser had a couple plays, um, but also – Marquette wasn't able to go inside the paint. Yeah, they weren't able to go inside the perimeter. They, I think they had maybe six total two pointers made in that game. I I don't know the number myself, but they had more. I think they had. I know they had more three pointers made um, in the field goal uh, differential compared to two pointers, and that's something that we don't really see from the Golden Eagles. We normally see it the other way around, and those mm-hmm. three pointers typically come from a Cam Jones or David Joplin or Olivier Maxson's Prosper, three players who hit big threes yes. that game. But we weren't able to see Oso Godaro get inside the paint. We were able. To, we weren't able to see the second chance offensive putbacks. We weren't able to get the baskets inside the paint itself, the jumpers, all the layups that Marquette was able to use to make themselves a number one offense at one time in this country, according to Ken Palm, and what got them a number two seed. Um, so, you know, in Michigan State, they just took away some of the keys for Marquette, um, and it made it difficult. Um, and, you know, Tyler Kolak didn't have his best game, um, but it, the game was not lost on Tyler. Um, Coach Smart talked about that as well. This team would have not been in the situation and the position they were as a two seed in the East Regional, Big East champs, Big East regular season champs, if it wasn't for Tyler Kolak, who should be the Naismith Player of the Year, in my opinion. Wow. I think he should. I think he's up there for it. Um, We can have more of that conversation later, but you will hear about that on Saturday um, or Sunday down in Houston uh, from the Naismith uh, Committee. But, you know, 
It was it was a successful season regardless. It just unfortunately ended a little too early for the Golden Eagles. And a lot of fans on Twitter <laughs> said stuff after the game, mm-hmm. but this team brought excitement back into this university, this fan base, the Big East, mm-hmm. college basketball, and you're kind of seeing why, and you're kind of seeing the dividends of it as Shaka Smart continues to rack up these National Coach of the Year awards. Man, we have, don't do an episode for a couple months. You're already bringing out the hot takes, yeah. man. <laughs> but no, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. We will get into that later. But for for the both of us, I'll obviously start with you. What's kind of like the favorite memory that you have, whether it was a game or like something outside of a game that related to it, and then just kind of like a favorite story you had or just like a game you covered? Yeah, I mean, being on the men's beat for two years, it you had your ups and downs and you had <laughs> your highs and, and the highs. Um, I think this year just, and I kind of said it in a post that I made after the season where this season's going to be one of the seasons I remember for a long time, just being able to cover it because of how historic and how successful and how exciting it was because no one saw this coming. Um, but I don't think any, and I myself didn't see it coming until January 18th when Marquette took on Providence at Pfizer Forum and they were honoring the Final Four team. And they kind of bounced back against the Friars, mm-hmm. and they won on their home court. And I said, okay, this team might be able to have a shot of winning the Big East tournament. And they ended up winning it. Um, but I think for me, just growing up on the East Coast, going to a couple Big East tournament games growing up, um, knowing the Big East, growing up in a city like Philadelphia where basketball is such a big part of our yep. culture – Covering the Big East tournament this year was surreal. Um, just being there to, on the court with yourself, with Kristen, um, and see the confetti come down again and Marquette hoist the trophy for the first time. I mean, we can say as a crew that we were the first Marquette Wire crew yeah. to cover a tournament championship run. Yeah. No one, no, Wire's been around for so many years. They have never done that in the Big East as they as, far, as long as they've competed since 2006. So that was pretty cool um, to be in Madison Square Garden that night, courtside. Yeah. Um, shout out John Paquette from the Big <laughs> East for uh, moving us down again. But it was just really cool. Um, that game will probably be something that I'll remember for a long time. I'll keep those credentials they're already put away mm-hmm. um, in the collection um, as I've collected all the credentials throughout my time at the Wire. I'm sure you do the same. Yep. Um, but that was the game that's probably going to sit with me the most um, as I graduate, as we graduate in less than a month. Don't remind me. I know, right? (laughs) Um, A little over than a month. Um, But story-wise, there's two. Um, One is the Tom Crean story that I did uh, last year, the man who made the program relevant again. Um, selfish plug for all the awards it's been winning. (laughs) (laughs) You've had to see that coming. Yeah. but it's humbling to get that. I just really enjoyed telling that story. Um, got to talk to some really cool people. And, I mean, talking to Coach last night about uh, a story that I'm working on right now. So okay. seeing that connection uh, continue was really cool. Um, I was really proud. That was my first, like, big men's basketball feature that I did on the beat. Um, and then the one I just did most recently about Chaka Smart uh, going in the NCAA tournament, how the value of his relationships has been able to – was able to bring this team to have a season like they had this year. Um, and just talking to people in the in New York in the Big East tournament, 
um, Terrence Oglesby, uh, Rob Doster from the Field of 60 Media Networks, guys who I look up to and I like listening to their podcast. Excuse me. Just talk about Shaka and the consistency that he's had as a coach and his adaptability and his versatility and him able to doing him able to do what he did this year with a team that might have not been the his most defensive team and he mm-hmm. saw that and he flipped it to be one of the best offensive teams in college basketball. Um so he's been able to do it on both ends. His values of relationships has been something that was core and I just really you know, I was like, this is probably my last men's basketball big feature. Let's let's put at it all out. And I I was really proud with how that happened. Yeah, I I was able to read over that and I just I really liked it. And we talked about it as you're trying to interview people that you got someone when he was an yeah. assistant at Clemson to yep. Oglesby's. I thought that was really cool. Um for myself, it's I didn't I don't think I had like a major, major feature story like the ones you're talking about. I think my first, we're talking to Chase and Sean, mm. just getting that first one out of the way in terms of and those guys were really cool to talk with I mean I've talked to guys in press conferences before but that was kind of my first time just talking to them and it's just as normal people and interviewing them and talking to coach DeAndre Haynes is like one of the most I mean he's a fantastic cool like both and I think almost in both interviews I had uh I did one on Cam Jones later where it was like you just talk about pit bull mentality and dogs (laughs) and what it's like to grow up in Detroit so I really like talking to him but I totally got to agree with the my best memory being being courtside at the yeah. Big East tournament. Like since I've been a sixth grader in middle school, my dream has been calling like broadcasting basketball mm-hmm. games and doing it from courtside at the arguably the most famous arena in all of sports is yeah. something I'm never ever gonna forget. So, and again, again, shout out John Piquet for getting yeah. us down there for sure. Um, now we'll move on to the bigger stuff that's been going on on around Marquette basketball, and that is we're in portaling season, John, and <laughs> yeah. Marquette has lost three players, uh, sophomore guard Marion Ellis, sophomore forward Kian Atijere, and then graduate student forward uh, Zach Reitzel. Uh, first question, um, just were any of these surprises for you or were they all kind of expected? I mean, the Reitzel we kind of knew – um, that, you know, graduate student, Marquette probably wasn't going to bring him back if he was given that medical year by the NCAA. So he still has to apply for that, and he still has to be granted. I don't see that. I see that yeah. being granted for him. He's only He was in three games for the Golden Eagles, um, and unfortunately another injury for him that Marquette probably wished he had, they had in him yeah. uh, in the postseason. Just another player of depth. Another wing. Another wing, uh, another forward inside the paint, rebounding um, defensive guy. Um, so that one was not surprising. Um, the Amarian one I could have seen coming, I think, um, just because of the depth that the Golden mm-hmm. Eagles have and the amount of guards they're going to be bringing in next year with Trey Norman and uh, Zayden Lowry, and then you also have what you have this year from this year's team. Yeah, um, It's a pretty loaded guard unit for Marquette. Um, so wish wish Amarian well with his recovery. He looked he was practicing a little bit uh, towards the end of the season in warmups, but nothing outside of that. Um, the one that I was surprised though was Keen Itijere, mm. and you know last year he redshirted for Marquette, um, used that as a development year, um, and then this year he played a little early on in the in the non conference games, and and then he just got the last minute or so in some Big East games that they blew out the opponent right um 
The reason why I thought that was the surprising one is because Shaka Smart and his staff, ever since Itizari came to Marquette, and they announced that he was going to redshirt last season. I remember the press conference right now. It was right before, I believe. I forget the. It was the it was, before the game against yes, Radford. Yes, uh, Bowie State. I think they were playing, um, and it was last year. And Shaka was saying, "Yeah, Kean's going to redshirt. Going to use it as development year." But we've always been talking about a five-year plan with him. Mm-hmm. There's always been five years that uh, TJ would be here at Marquette, and you were talking about. The development, um, but he well, he is a little raw still. Yeah, um, for sure. And it's probably just not being able to play as much. So, you know, a little surprising, um, but I wouldn't be surprised wherever he ends up. Yeah, I was a little surprised by that one too. Again, the five-year plan, he brought that up again against in the press yeah. conference for this season against Radford. So I was a little surprised with that one. Um, and just people I've been talking to, I was going to say one of the guards is going to have to transfer at this point. Yep. Um, and so I'm not surprised with the Marion and then kind of same thing with Zach. I wasn't too surprised with him leaving, yeah. but I know no, none of those guys played a ton. Obviously Zach with the three games, Marion mm-hmm. missed all of this season and only played in 14 games last year. Kean was basically uh, a bench warmer for this yep. year. If any of them, who would you think would be the biggest loss moving forward? Um, it's a toss up between Marion and Kean. Um, they just haven't really played much to see them, but I think Amarion, they were really high on him. Mm-hmm. And I was looking forward to seeing him play a little bit last year. It just never played out for him. Yeah. Um, but I think he's a really good basketball player, and maybe depth-wise they might miss that, depending on what they do um, with that one scholarship spot now. But, you know, I think I think that the thing that this team has always, at least that what they bought into this year is, Roles. Yep. Um, I don't think that's going to change. Um, I think it's only going to get stronger and stronger as the relationships of these of this core grows. Um, everybody has two years left. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think the biggest loss would probably be a Marion. Um, I mean, I was just from what we know of him as a player and what we saw like glimpses last year. Um, he was a little. It was a little too fast of a pace for him, maybe at times last yeah. year. But he showed glimpses that he could. He could play uh, in the Big East and at this high level. Yeah, and then I think it's also kind of a, a good problem to have with like the 100%. amount of star depth. I mean, you had, you had flashes from Sean Jones yep. and Chase Ross this year. Obviously, Cam blossomed in the player he is. Tyler Kolick, Big East Player of the Year. Yep. And then whatever we're going to get to see from Trey Norman next year. Mm-hmm. So should be an interesting group of guys to keep an eye out for. But that, as you mentioned, that opens up a scholarship yep. spot with Marion and Kian leaving. Obviously, Zach would he was not going to have one unless he got that medical red mm-hmm. shirt. Uh, I know you have something cooking, but yeah. who do you think, what position do you think they'll target in the transfer portal, and do you have some names you've thought of up to this point? I haven't really thought of names. I've seen people come up on Twitter. There's one player from Western Kentucky, a forward. Yep. Um, I forget his name on the top of my head, but he could fit very well with Marquette. We were, I was talking about that with a couple of friends last night um, or the day before. I think Marquette tries to go and use that um, in the forward position. I think it's a position that Marquette needs a lot of depth in. They need to have that big man uh, for when Oso and Omax might have to come off. Um, in that, in in that, um, yeah. I but I kind of saw something on Twitter yesterday. Shaka was talking with Seth Greenberg from ESPN, 
and they were he was kind of talking about his mindset of going into the portal and whether they use it how they use it it's like well are we willing to jeopardize the development of our own players mm. um so that was something that stuck out with me um Shaka didn't really use the transfer portal last year. Zach Reitzel was the only one his first year he did. He oh, yeah. kind of had to um, with Kirk Queth and Daryl Morsell coming over in the transfer portal. And it worked for Marquette that Tyler way. Tyler Kolek. Tyler Kolek as well. Um, yeah, it's a player who Marquette wouldn't be in the position they are without <laughs> yeah. him and because of the transfer portal. But I think this Marquette team and Shaka will hear about it and see what – his his thoughts are after the final four. We'll talk about it. The the final press conference of the regular season or the season itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they try to target a forward. Um, they need a big man. They need one that to be able to go up against Donovan Klingon, uh, like a UConn. So no go. So no go. Uh, just the big forwards in the Big East. A lot of the a lot of the teams in the Big East have a forward who is explosive. To come yes. off the bench, Marquette did not really have that last this year. Yeah, so they need that kind of guy, I think. And you know, they're probably going to work someone and find someone who fits their culture. Um, and you know, that's what the culture is all about with Smart and his staff. Yeah, uh, I think the guy you're thinking of from Western Kentucky was uh, Jamarion Sharp. Yeah, as uh, a seven-three center. Yeah. So I think he averaged uh, was it seven or fourteen and seven or seven points and seven rebounds uh-huh. and like three or four blocks per game. So I think that pretty much would fill a ton of holes. Um, another guy that I was interested that just came through the pipeline, I want to say just over an hour ago, is uh, Ismail Masood from mm. Kansas State. He just announced about an hour ago that he was going to transfer. I think he would fit very well if Marquette feels David Joplin maybe is not ready yeah. to start yet. I mean, six foot nine forward, shot 41% from three, gives him another body to if they want to start him or if they want to have him come off the bench and just another good defensive yeah. and great three-point shooter, which I think they had good guard three-point shooting. They just didn't have a big to like knock down three pointers mm-hmm. to open things up for Ofso in the paint. Yeah, and the Western Kentucky guy just found Jamarian Sharp. Um, you know, seven five. Uh, oh, he's seven five. Seven five center. Oh, seven five center. <laughs> Mike could use that. I'd say that's a, a little taller than six foot nine Ofso, yeah. and uh, I was at six ten Bengal. Yeah, ferocious shot blocker in all of college basketball. Okay, I'm I'm digging it. I'm From digging Conference it. USA. Um, so speaking of guys heading out. Are we expecting potentially any other departures? I saw the latest mock draft from the Athletic, and they had uh, Omax being picked 49th by the Clippers. Yeah, I mean, that's always this is always a thought that we have as beat reporters or just people who cover the team at this time of year. Like, do we see someone else leaving? I, I don't know. I, I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't say. I think this. The players, obviously, you have also you have Tyler and you have Omax, who might be a part of that convert of that thought mm-hmm. by fans and NBA draft experts. I saw the I saw the Omax thing today too at forty nine. I think Omax needs another year. I think yeah. he could benefit. I'm not. I, I'll, I'll change my word. I think he could benefit yes. off another year in this program um, to build his stock and. Not to say it, but you kind of have to try to see what Justin Lewis did last year. And, mm-hmm. you know, he was taught to be a high pick in the draft, and unfortunately it didn't go that way for him. Um, 
and he's he's still in the NBA on a two-way contract with the Bulls, but you it's a lot of do you risk your development another year in college or do you try to go pro and test the waters? Um, I don't think Tyler goes. I don't think Oso goes. Um, I think the one that you might have to look a little bit more is into Omax. Yeah. Um, but I think he could benefit another year uh, under this program. I think both of those guys could potentially they'll keep their eligibility open and to come back, but they may just go through the draft process yeah. to get some feedback from scouts. And I think uh, definitely another year. I think the biggest thing with Omax is just learning how to balance his body because yeah. we saw him a lot just falling on the floor, not able to keep under control because I think the rest of his game is near NBA ready. He's a great defensive player, got great size and versatile. I think he's got a good enough three-point shot for a three or a four in the NBA to to be ready for that. Yeah. I think it's just balancing and handling the ball a little bit better than he has in the past. He's not going to be necessarily asked to do that in the mm-hmm. NBA, but if he's able to add that, that's going to be able to raise his stock to potentially yeah. a low First round pick, high second round. And he pick. was kind of talking about his next steps of growth on the offensive end uh, at, at the press conference after the Michigan State game. Someone asked him, like, well, Max, where do you want to see your game take next? And I believe he was, and I'm verbatim, not verbatim here, um, but paraphrasing, I think he was talking about it on the offensive end and just trying to be that explosive, kind of consistent player, um, building consistency. Because at the beginning of the year, he was very consistent scoring for Marquette mm-hmm. and kind of tailed off a little bit and then he came back. Um, yes. In that second half. So, should be interesting to see where those guys potentially end up or obviously what they decide to do with the remaining eligibility. Um, obviously, we talked about there's going to be a press conference yep. after the Final Four. We haven't heard exactly when that's going to be yet. My guess would be the Thursday when we're all on spring <laughs> for our Easter break. So, we'll probably be hanging around in Milwaukee for an extra day than we would like. Well, but... I won't. I, I'll be in Philly at uh, Philly's <laughs> opening day. Uh, so, um... <laughs> I'll, I'll take care of this. Yeah, I'll be, if, I'm taking a flight that, if, to Philly on Wednesday. So Okay, if that's the case, I'll handle this yeah. one. But um, skipping in beyond that, with potentially probably just a minor move in the transfer yep. portal and more likely than not this roster staying together, where do you expect Marquette to go, especially with Georgetown Addison pieces with Ed Cooley mm-hmm. and St. John's losing a ton of pieces with Rick Pitino coming in? That was expected, but... Yeah, so for everybody who's listening and all, like the Patino hire at St. John's and the way all the things are going on right now, that was expected. Yes. Um, he said in his press conference that we're gonna people are gonna be invited back and some people are gonna be asked to leave. Mm-hmm. And he was just flat out open. That's how candid he's been his entire career <laughs> as a head coach. That level of cockiness between yep. him. Um it's just a part of his coaching DNA. He's going to bring in six to eight players yeah. there at St. John's. Yeah. He's been working on that. So a lot of the people I've seen on Twitter, oh, St. John's is going to be down. No, I don't no. think so. Um, I think St. John's goes up to being a top six or seven team in the Big East. There could be an argument saying top five, top six, just because of Patino and building the team around Joel Soriano. I know Pasha Alexander won't be there. He just entered the portal today. Um, so, you know, this St. John's team, they're going to be good. They're going to yeah. be good. Um, and going against Patino, everybody saw what he did at Iona. Against um, UConn in that yep, first round. UConn in the first half, and then UConn came back and all. Um, but Marquette doesn't move out of the top two, in my opinion. Out of the top two? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think... Man, we'll go top three. Um, 
you know, they probably will be the preseason pick number one team. Mm-hmm. Um, even if I, th- I think even if UConn wins the national championship, because um, I think UConn loses a couple key players this year. I don't know the roster in the top of my head, uh, mm-hmm. eligibility wise. Um, but you know, you're talking about Marquette, Creighton, Xavier, UConn, top four of the Big East now. Yep. That wasn't the case a couple years ago. No, no, it was not. Yeah, Villanova was in it because of Jay Wright. Villanova was in it because of its players. Villanova's down. They're going to be back. Yeah. So There's no doubt about it. They just realized that sometimes in the recruiting process and the transfer, you have to have that NIL program. Yep. They didn't have that. So, you know, I, I heard that a lot lately on a college basketball uh, podcast, uh, Field of 68 After Dark, talking about that. Um, but, you know, I see Marquette right in that top four mark. Um, and they're going to be there for quite some time as long as Shaka Smart's working the sideline for Marquette. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think I think if you're going to see a couple of teams tumble from that top four, it's probably going to be Creighton and Xavier, both of those yeah. lot of veteran rosters. I mean, in that same mock draft, they had Baylor Shireman going in the draft. Ryan yeah, he's Kalkbrenner. a graduate student. So. Yeah. And then, obviously, Xavier, Colby Jones could be leaving. I think Jack Nungy is out of eligibility yep. at this the f- point. The main three there at uh, Xavier are out of uh, eligibility, Sule I believe. Boom is gone. So, and they also lost four players to the transfer portal. Elijah already. Tucker is gone. Yeah. So um, we'll see what Sean Miller and um, Greg Dermott are able to do. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the, if the top four, those would probably be the teams I could see tumbling. And then Villanova skyrocketing up, St. John's. Maybe even see what DePaul does. <laughs> DePaul. I mean, they did add someone for Wyoming who seems fairly intriguing, but it's going to be interesting. And I think who knows what happens with Georgetown and that Cooley this year. Yeah, I mean, I think the Cooley uh, hire is going to be the more impactful one in the long-term run compared to the Patino hire mm-hmm. over the offseason. Um, but I think Cooley has some work to get done. Mm-hmm. In Georgetown to rebuild that program, 100%. he was able to bring a couple two. He was able to bring two of his big recruits from Providence down to Georgetown now. Yep. And who doesn't want to say that? Yeah, we'll follow you, Coach. Georgetown education, <laughs> one of the best educations in the country. Yeah, and you're gonna play for a coach like Ed Cooley. Perfect. Yeah. Like there, there was a, a lot of Marquette fans were hoping for uh, Kevon Murray um, to come to Marquette uh, because mm-hmm. of his teammates with Trey Norman. Marquette was in his final uh... two. Um, when Cooley decided to leave Providence, but he kept uh, with the coach that he originally committed to. Um, so that killed those uh, little hopes a little bit. But, no, I, th- I think Georgetown, they won't be down at the bottom of the Big East um, like they've been for the last couple years. Yeah. Um, and maybe a year or two uh, under Cooley. Yeah, and I think the most intriguing team to be watching, obviously we're talking about that Cooley, is going to be, Providence. What happens with Bryce Hopkins? He's still he was at Kim English's press conference yeah. today, but I think uh, an AD or someone said don't to read into the attendance because some guys have class and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. that's the big looming piece for Providence right now. Yeah, I, I think I can get why people think that might be the one to keep an eye out for. Um, but I think the one that you look a little bit more the most is the two teams that are in the tri-state area. And then in the Mid Atlantic, and that's Villanova and Seton Hall. Mm, yeah, I think those two teams are gonna they sh- they came together towards the end of the season last year under first year head coach Sheen Holloway and Kyle Neptune, and you're just gonna kind of see how those programs grow. 
Um, yeah. I think they they got them on the right trajectory. I think um, based on how the regular season ended. Um, but I, I think those are the two teams you kind of look at uh, going into next season and see where the next jump is uh, for those two coaches in their respective programs. I honestly think you could say, and we'll we'll try and wrap up here as quick as possible. I think you could say in the Big East at this point that there's not one bad head coach. No, we got some first-timers with Kim English coming in, but he did a fantastic job at George Mason. Mm -hmm. So I don't think you can can say there's a bad coach in the Big East. It's a gauntlet of a coaching staff. It was before all the coaching changes this year, too. Like, that's the thing. Like, this program only got better. I was going to say, but there was a clear, like, obviously you – People are very down on Patrick Ewing and yeah. what he'd done the past two years at Georgetown. Now you can't even say that. I mean, what you say, Tony Stubblefield's the worst coach. And for uh, those who can't see, I'm doing air quotes. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll see. But, um, I mean, the coaching, the head coaches in this league um, are just really good. And that's yeah. why they're, that's why people have the Big East in a Power Six conference. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? Maybe they will be a Power Five one day. Um, nice. But. We'll see how that is. But uh, before we get out of here, obviously neither of us are going to be here at The Wire anymore when next season rolls around. But even as a fan or still as a a sports journalist, what are you looking forward to most next year with this Marquette roster? I think just seeing where the growth of, like, Sean Jones goes or, like, Stevie Mitchell Mm -hmm. um, or Chase Ross, like, glue pieces to this Marquette team, in my opinion, on the defensive side, um, especially Chase and Stevie, uh, the defensive anchors. Um, but even to see like where we can get maybe a little bit more consistency out of Oso. Um, point Oso, maybe another season under underneath that. But just building consistency. In him, and he took significant jumps this year oh, yeah. in his development. So I'm just looking forward to seeing another year uh, under smarts like people um, where his growth grows. Because he was a – a lot of Marquette fans remember how – skinny he was oh my god yeah. like when he came Bean to marquette pool. now he's now he's all bulk um yeah. so you know i could see that but i'm gonna look forward to seeing tyler Kolek with his passes he's a wizard out there yeah he really is like there seems to be just be a magnet on his hand for the ball mm-hmm. and he just passes it and i'm like how do you do that like, <laughs> i it's just it's a it's a master class and He'll have an exhibit at the Milwaukee Art Museum before the time he leaves. <laughs> oh, that's a perfect note to end on, but I'll give my quick thoughts. Um, I'm really excited for Cam Jones in year three. I'm excited for David Joplin in year three. That first recruiting class, that shock is marked. Mm. I'm really excited for. But seeing where David Joplin can continue to grow, can he add a little bit more of – some ball handling to his yeah. game. Um, he had some in, impressive moments working in the post this year. Can he be a little bit more consistent with that? And then Cam Jones, when I wrote that story about him, DeAndre mm-hmm. Haynes said he has potential to be an elite NBA guard. Still some things to work on, but the jump that Cam Jones yeah. has made every year of his career so far, going back to high school, has just been incredible. So mm-hmm. and. I will go full bias. Cam Jones is probably now my favorite player. <laughs> I do have a David Joplin jersey, but I just love Cam Jones' his yeah. game, his personality. Bucket fam Cam. Bucket fam Cam. So uh, I'm really excited to see where he goes in his career here. Yeah. Um, I wish I could continue to cover it, but <laughs> hey, I don't want to pay a couple more thousand bucks <laughs> to do that. So, All right, John, thank you so much of for course. hopping on. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. You're a great conversation here on, on the Marquette Wire. and. Hopefully we can get in one more. We'll do a a big old senior special. I mean, there's only three of us this year on the desk, but um, but we'll we'll get something going. But 
Thank you all for listening. Uh, make sure to uh, share this on Twitter and it'll be posted on SoundCloud and Spotify. So make sure to listen there, share with your friends, family, and other Marquette fans around the world. All right. Have a great day, Marquette Nation, and enjoy your Easter break.